There is one thing we have to realize, and that is everyone who was being used by God in history uh, have a personal touch with the Lord. Um, the uh, subject of, of this uh, training is a history of God's move. So God has a history. Slip. Uh, we have to realize that God has a history. But everyone who is being used by the Lord also has a history with God. So God has a history with man, but everyone who is used by the Lord also has a history with God. Uh, when we consider Watchmany's uh, biography and his life. Uh, it is not all the uh, int interesting stories uh, of any biography of human being. The, the, the thing that counts and the thing that is significant is a person's history with God, uh, his encounter with God. Watchman, he has a book, and it's called Being Dealt With by God and Dealing with God. That's a very interesting title. Have you ever thought about uh, something like that? That uh, we have to be dealt with by God. And that's God's history. God's history with us. And we have to deal with God. And uh, months ago, Brawley passed away. And, of course, we, the, the matter is very fresh in our mind. But... Uh, here is a brother who had a history with God, and that's something that I like to share, both uh, Brother Nee and Brother Lee, and to some extent ourselves, and I hope so with all, all of us who are captured by him and who are his lovers, that we have a history with God. We have something that we can write uh, about our encounter our dealings with God and this song that we just sang I'll just say a little bit uh, everyone who eventually become used by the Lord touch the Lord in a very personal way and once you touch him he becomes very very personal to you then he can be the uh, one of peerless words. Um, this uh, line that uh, our brother mentioned just now, it says, chief among 10,000 own him. Uh, I think it means, I think it means this way, that in the Song of Songs, uh, the Lord is described as the chiefest among 10,000. So he's the one that is the chief among all 10,000. That is a way to describe that he is the unique one. You know, there is no one else like him. And once the veils are stripped and the uh, uh, coverings are gone, and the coverings are mostly from the world and the idols because they sort of blinded the eyes and they're gilded, they're honeyed, coated and so forth and so they blind the person's eyes and, and you can only see the material 
uh, world. But once the eyes are unveiled, then you see him, and he is the one uh, of peerless worth, and also uh, the one that is chiefest among ten thousand. So we we own him as the one who is chiefest among ten thousand. Then, of course, in verse two it says the reason why we we didn't see him that way, like so many others before us saw him, was because the idols they they gilded with gold and they just cover us, and we all got gone through that process. We just trade, chase after those uh, material, superficial things. But then, when the Lord touched our spirit, then all these outward, uh, transient, temporal uh, beauty are gone. And then we see him as the peerless worth. And that's how the Lord captured vessels uh, throughout the, uh, the, the centuries. And of course, what Watchman Nee was one such vessel. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about his life. Then tomorrow we're going to talk about his work. And uh, the life is very much related to the work because without the proper life, you cannot. Uh, uh, the Lord cannot use you. Uh, and what is the life? that uh, a vessel of the Lord lived. Well, first of all, it is a life that has a history with God. And secondly, I, I, I will point out later that it is a life that has gone through the cross in death and resurrection. And in that, a person gets to experience the Lord in a very personal way. Uh, I'll start with the Lord's move to China. Um, it is very interesting that God started his recovery in China. And it was a very far off uh, country. Uh, not like today, everything is so convenient. A um, hundred years ago, uh, two hundred years ago, it takes six months to travel by boat to China. And uh, I strongly encourage you to read some of the biographies. The first one that went to uh, China was uh, Robert Morrison. And he was not able to uh, get on a British ship. He was a, uh, an Englishman. But the British were trading with China uh, under the company called the East India Company, and they had a golden triangle where they uh, took opium to China, and then from China they took the tea to England, and then from England they got the money to go to India. So it was a very profitable trade, and they would not allow Robert Morrison to join them on the ship. So instead he went to New York, and he joined an American company, and, um, and boarded an American ship and went to a little uh, peninsula right off the uh, mouth of the uh, biggest river in China flowing down south 
called the um, Pearl River. And that little city was called Macau. When I got married, I took my wife on honeymoon to Macau, which was right next to Hong Kong, and we visited the grave site of Robert Morrison. In fact, I called my son, John Morrison, in memory of Robert Morrison. And he was there for about his whole life. He went there as a young man at 25 years old. His wife died, and his best friend died, and his best friend's wife died before he was 35. And when he was 35, he wrote, he, he said, I'm only 35, but I feel like an old man. And he was in, in Macau for two years uh, without daring to walk outside the street because at that time China was a very closed country. And anyone who, who any non-Chinese, uh, a foreigner, found trying to learn Chinese uh, would be put to death or exile. Well, no, they would not be put to death, but whoever that taught those foreigners would be put to death. And his uh, Chinese teacher had a package of poison in his pocket. He would rather take poison if he ever gets found out than to be put into the hand of the authority. And the first time he went outside was on a moonless night, and he would just take a walk around. And the only book he had was a Matthew Henry's uh, commentary on the Bible, which he used to help him to translate. And he spent about, oh, two, 20 or 30 years to make the first translation of the Bible into Chinese and carved it in wood. That was the way it was, uh, printing was done. And just as it was about finished and the galley was piling up, it was a big fire, and he lost them all. And uh, he spent about 30 years, and all he got was just one single uh, person saved. And, he, and in his diary, he said the day he baptized him in the river under moonlight, he just felt like uh, he spent his whole life, and that was the one fruit that he uh, received. But uh, that was... 200 years ago, 1805, he went to China. And by the time he died, it was only about one or two persons that he saved. I used to tell the missionaries, or the brothers that went to uh, Russia, I said, uh, don't try count so much on the fruit. Uh, it's what you pour out that counts. And consider all the ones. And then... Presently, we will come to Miss uh, Annie Barber, the same thing. Uh, she was a missionary, first a missionary, then a sister who lived by faith without any support by anybody on earth and any organization on earth. The same, she was just uh, a grain of wheat, just fell to the earth and died. And uh, that is the way of the of the servants of the Lord throughout the uh, the ages. So by the by the time Robert Morrison died, the vast China was not open. Then in the next hundred years, one hundred years, there there were uh, hundreds and thousands of missionaries 
that went to China. One of the most famous one was um, Hudson Taylor. And as a young man, he felt that uh, the Lord had called him to China. And uh, uh, he, he did not have a, an instructor. So he picked up a Chinese uh, New Testament that one of the earlier missionaries translated from a local library. And without an instructor, he just took that, and then he uh, used a, an English New Testament, and then he just uh, tried to figure the Chinese Bible by looking at, uh, uh, first of all, by looking at the English uh, Bible to find out two verses that have the same word. Then he would go to that Chinese Bible to look up those two verses and find out of those two verses well, which words are the, exactly the same in pattern? You know, all the Chinese characters are like pictures. <laughs> then he would write that on a piece of, uh, on, on his notebook and say that this is the word that means grace, or this is the word that means uh, love. And then he would go down more verses to compare to see if his uh, guess word was right. And that was how he started to, to learn Chinese. He has one famous uh, saying that, if you want to learn Chinese, you have to have to have fingers like the claws of eagle. You have to have eyes like um, some uh, leopard or something. <laughs> and you have to have uh, 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 vertebrates like steel. And you have to have the age of Methuselah. <laughs> uh, try to make a point of how difficult it is to learn the language. <laughs> Methuselah is the oldest living person in the Bible. Uh, and uh, that, that was uh, Hudson Taylor. Uh, if you read his biography, I was deep, deeply touched when I read his biography. And uh, last year I took some saints to Europe and we... Uh, we uh, stopped over in London, and we visited the headquarters of Hudson Taylor. And uh, very early on, he learned to live by faith. And one of the stories of how he learned to live by faith, he said, when I go to China, I'm not going to be supported by anyone. And uh, that place is so far away, so I have to learn to live by a living faith. And I better start learning it now. Uh, and he was an apprentice uh, to a doctor. And the doctor was a good man, but he's absent-minded, uh, always forgetting to pay him on time. And he tried to make a point of uh, not reminding the doctor to pay him, and that every time when the time comes for him to receive his money, he would just pray to the Lord. And a few times, you know, he was in a very difficult situation, and he just prayed, and then eventually the Lord would move the doctor. He also purposely tried to move to a poorer part of town, sort of like the uh, uh, skid row part of the town, right by the Verde River, which is really a gutter, so that he can save, save money. And he would just eat one bread, one piece of bread per day, and uh, after work, he cut it up 
and then he eat that one for dinner, and then he eat the other for for breakfast and no no lunch. That's how he tried to uh, train himself so that uh, he would learn to live by faith. And eventually, he did uh, live by faith. And uh, his story was a very, very inspiring story. So there were many, many, many such uh, godly and consecrated uh, brothers who sowed the seed and uh, opened up the way. But uh, for, for, for 100 years, all that was done was just uh, uh, translating the Bible and gaining a very few uh, low-class people. Uh, the door in China was not open. And uh, it was a very, very difficult uh, land, field. Um, uh, every time I consider that, I would uh, encourage myself that what we're doing today is very, very easy, both here and also in the foreign countries that we're going today, Russia and Romania and all these places, that uh, these brothers, they spend their whole life, consider this, to just gain one person. And uh, I remember when I read that, I uh, prayed. That was when I was in, uh, just after I got saved. I said, uh, Lord, I consecrate myself to you, and I want to serve you the rest of my life. And even if by consecrating myself to you uh, and giving myself to you, all I get is one person um, in my whole life, I would do it. I would consider that as worthwhile. It's not so much how many people you gain. It's whether it's, it's the worth of your work. Uh, if... If you gain a million dollars, you know, so in, in the Lord's eyes, it's not worth anything. That's less than one person you gain. Um, so that was uh, 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 Hudson Taylor. Um, in 1900, right around the turn of the century, uh, was a, a big revolution in China called the Boxer Rebellion. It was a... Boxer, meaning like the boxers. And uh, what happened was a, a group of uh, people started a kind of an insurrection. And they, uh, they uh, started a massacre of the Christians because they blamed all the uh, calamities and all the woes uh, that uh, befell China on the foreigners that uh, came to China for that hundred years. So it was a, it was a, a national big scale uh, across the, the whole land, uh, hundreds of missionaries and the Chinese Christians were massacred. And that uh, began the work of prayer, a very lasting work uh, among uh, those who love the Lord. Um, I read one story, the two sisters uh, were in England, and they didn't know that the massacre started. There was no newspaper, there was no telegram, but they just sensed in their spirit that they need to kneel down to pray. And right while they were praying, the massacre was going on, and they prayed that the Lord would raise up some local Chinese uh, that would uh, uh, that would pick up the Lord's interest 
and become the Lord's great servants in China. And the Lord answered that prayer. Uh, both Watchman Nee and Witness Lee uh, were born around that time. Uh, Brother Nee was born uh, two years before Brother Lee. Brother Lee was Brother Nee was born in 1903. Brother Brother Lee was born in 1905. And so, it truly was the result, the direct result, of the prayer of the saints that God started His uh, mysterious and very gracious move among the people that would be least likely to be picked up by the Lord. Nobody would think about something like that. You know, Christianity has been on this earth for 2,000 years, and the last few sessions that you have studied church history, theologians after theologians, historians, churches, buildings, cathedrals, sects, uh, groups, denominations, great men, uh, volumes written. You know, it, w it was it was a uh, a land um, overly worked by human tradition and religion for two thousand years, to the point that it would be difficult for the Lord to speak something fresh, for the Lord to say something in a fresh way. And so, the Lord's way is always beyond man's way. He did not choose to. Uh, start his recovery uh, in a very highly civilized world. Rather, he went to a place where nobody would uh, notice, and that was China at that time. And uh, the way that Watchman Nee was saved was a very personal uh, time of salvation. And uh, let me read it. And... Uh, I think if you uh, all have the money, uh, you should uh, buy this book, uh, A Seer of the Divine Revelation in the Present Age. Or uh, if you haven't got it, uh, get it. Or uh, if you have gotten it already, just read it. Uh, listen to this uh, uh, testimony of uh, Watchman's Salvation. It's a very, very personal one. I was saved in 1920 at the age of 17. Before I was saved, I experienced some mental conflict concerning whether or not to accept the Lord Jesus as my Savior and whether or not to become the Lord's servant. These two things are the same thing. And uh, uh, I, I have the same, same experience. You know, I grew up in the church life. So it got to a point where I said, I have to decide whether I want to go on with the Lord. And so it was a matter of whether to accept the Lord Jesus as my Savior, as well as whether or not to become the Lord's servant. It's a big thing. Um, for most people, the problem at the time of salvation is how to be delivered from sin. But for me, being saved from sin and my life career were linked together. You know, at that time, Watchman Nee, he said, what am I going to do with my life? And if I am going to offer my, myself to the Lord and be safe, then I have, to be a, I have to be serious. I have to mean business, which means that my whole life career has to be offered to the Lord as well. If I were to accept the Lord Jesus as my Savior, I would simultaneously accept him as my Lord. 
To accept him as a savior is one thing. To accept him as Lord is another. He would deliver me not only from sin, but also from the world. At that time, I was afraid of being saved, for I knew that once I was saved, I must serve the Lord. Of necessity, therefore, my salvation would be a dual salvation. It was impossible for me to set aside the Lord's calling and to desire only salvation. I had to choose either to believe in the Lord and have a dual salvation or forfeit both. For me to accept the Lord would mean that both events would take place simultaneously. So it was not just a challenge to get saved, it was a challenge to give his whole life to the Lord. And through much struggling, he eventually, he gave up. And in other places he said, while he was praying, he saw the Lord, he saw a vision of the Lord hanging on the cross. And he just felt like he had to give his whole life to the Lord. He said before this time, he was a very ambitious person, and he was very intelligent, and he was always on top, and he would not take second. He would always only take the first. But then because of this definite experience, this history with the Lord, definite encounter with him, he said, all my previous plannings became void and was brought to nothing. My future career was entirely abandoned. For some, this step might be easy, but for me, with many ideals, dreams, and plans, it was exceedingly difficult. From the evening I was saved, I began to live a new life, for the life of the eternal God has entered into me. Then he said, My salvation and calling to serve the Lord took place simultaneously. Since that evening, I have never once had any doubt about being called. During that hour, I decided on my future career once and for all. I realized that on the one hand, the Lord has saved me for my sake, and at the same time, He did so for His own sake. He wanted me to obtain His eternal life, and He also wanted me to serve Him and be His co-worker. As a boy, I did not understand the nature of preaching. When I was older, I considered the most trifling and base of occupations. In those days, most preachers were employed by European or American missionaries. They were serviles, subordinates to the missionaries, and earned merely eight or nine dollars per month. I had no intention of becoming a preacher, nor even a Christian. I could never have imagined that I would choose the profession of a preacher a profession which I despised and considered trifling and base. He once uh, talked about a story of how, as a young man, he watched his mother playing mahjong on the table, and then the preacher would come around to beg for money or fundraising, and then she would grab some money from the mahjong table and just give it to the preacher. And he would be so despised. He, he would despise it so much. He said, I'll never do uh, anything. Uh, I would do anything but be a preacher. Um, <clears throat> His mother was a very uh, strong person, strong personality. 
she went to the same school and was a classmate of the wife of uh, Sun Yat-sen, who was the uh, revolutionary leader of China. And since her youth, she was very active in politics, and she always entertained a lot of people. But uh, she was very harsh to her children. And uh, sometimes she would become unreasonable with them. But then she was the one that first got saved through the preaching of a sister uh, called Dora Yu. And uh, that sister was also another shining star in the Lord's recovery. She would be a precursor. You would can, can, can consider the two sisters that uh, helped Brother Nee very much uh, in his initial stage was Dora Yu and Sister M.E. Barber, Margaret Barber. Then in his later life, there were also two sisters that helped Brother Nee. One was called Ruth Lee, the other was called Peace Wong. So those four sisters helped Brother Nee very much. Dora Yu was a, a very uh, refined uh, lady, uh, which uh, at that time was rare. She had the uh, rare opportunity to uh, be sent by her parents to study medicine in, uh, in Europe, in France, actually. And uh, she was on her way. And uh, you have to realize that this is not uh, like today where you can fly a jet. And, you know, today the people in the Far East are very well-to-do at that time to be able to send out study uh, in, in, in Europe was very difficult. But then on the boat, she got called by the Lord, and it was a very strong and definite salvation. So she told the doctor, she said, I have to go home. And uh, the doctor, uh, the, the, the captain didn't know what to do, so they let her off at Marseille in France, and then from there she went back home. And when she went home, nobody could understand her, uh, including her parents. But then she began to live by faith. And Watchman, he said she was the first person in China to live by faith, not depending on any organization or any mission. So she came to Brother Ni's hometown, Fu Chao. And uh, during one of those evangelistic uh, meetings, Watchman Ni's mother got saved. And some of you might have heard the story. After she got saved, she was saved in a dynamic dynamic way and the Lord touched her that she wanted to deal with all her sins and all her shortcomings so she confessed to her husband and above all she confessed to brother Watchman Nee um, and and Watchman Nee was a young man he said if there is anything that could touch my strong mother surely there must be a power behind that I have to go and listen to that and of course, he was a third-generation Christian, so he knew all the Christian doctrines. He was not unfamiliar with that. But here was a living witness. Well, when she spoke, she was not speaking out of the uh, uh, pages of the Bible. She was speaking from her living experience. And so uh, that really uh, attracted Watchman Nee 
And so that night he got saved, as I said. So that was uh, uh, Watchman's uh, salvation. And his salvation was his calling. And then after that, um, he was... Uh, 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 he offered himself to be edified by Dora Yu. And I always uh, felt very much comforted by this, uh, this part of his life because uh, uh, ever since I... Uh, <clears throat> well, I grew up in the church and I knew a watchman's story ever since I was a young man. And I realized that there was many things that God did in him but it seems to me that uh, his life seems to be so perfect and so much touched by the Lord. But here is Watchmany who, who got saved just recently, uh, less than a year. And he uh, applied to us to be trained under Miss Dora Yu, who has a Bible school in Shanghai. But uh, he still has, God's life was in him. But outwardly, he was still living his old life. And uh, he loved beautiful clothes. And he was lazy and couldn't get up early enough in the morning. And so after a while, Doryu sent her back and said that she, he was really not that suitable uh, for training. And that disappointed him. But it takes time. I uh, remember the first time I taught with Brother Lee was in 1968. Perhaps some of you were not even born yet. <laughs> that was the first time I taught with Brother Lee. And the first question I asked Brother Lee, I said, Brother Lee, I want to serve the Lord full time. And he looked at me and he said, well, you better go back to college. And that was an, a disappointment to me. But in retrospect, I really thank the Lord for the Lord's arrangement and for Brawley's wisdom. Um, I was really not prepared. But uh, Watchman E was sent back. And then <clears throat> after he went back and he went, to, he went back to school, then the Lord began to work on him. And he felt very much... Uh, uh, a, a desire to go on with the Lord. And uh, one of the person that uh, helped him very much was this lady that I just mentioned. Her name is uh, Margaret Barbara. Margaret Barbara. And uh, she was sent by Church Missionary Society. That's a British missionary society to China at the beginning. But then, uh, um, while she was there on her mission field, uh, she was accused. Actually, she was accused of committing uh, sin with uh, other male missionary, which she did not. But it was uh, out of some uh, political maneuvering or just jealousy that there was this uh, kind of accusation. But she took it in a in the way of taking the cross. So she went back and she would not vindicate herself. And as a result of that, she was being dismissed by the board, but she would never vindicate herself. Then years later, 
uh, a few years later, she felt that she still wanted to go uh, to China, that the Lord still called her. And so she went, and uh, one of the supervisors, which was a very spiritual person, uh, checked with her and said, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you before the Lord that, that, you, that you have this uh, 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 sin. And, she, and so she uh, told that, that person that it, it was a lie, and so that cleared her. But uh, even, though that she, even though she was clear, she decided to go on her own. So she went to China, and she stayed in a very remote call, place called um, uh, Pagoda. Uh, uh, and she stayed there just living by faith. And there was a story of uh, one time she wanted to uh, uh, prepare, she wanted to... Uh, start a kind of like a worker's home or missionary home uh, apartment place for Christian workers to stay there and uh, rest and have some retreat. And she had this burden from the Lord. Um, but she didn't have the means, so she prayed. And after she prayed, uh, a local technical college went defunct, and the whole building was empty. So they offered it to her, and so she, she took it for a very cheap uh, price. And uh, she, she ran that kind of an apartment for uh, missionaries and Christian workers for about four years. And then at the end of four years, that technical college said, now uh, our board of directors decide to take it back over because now we have the money. So she said, uh, the, the uh, other brothers and sisters said, well, uh, you see, uh, they're going to take it over. God uh, has not heard your prayer. She said, no, uh, just wait and see. Uh, the Lord is faithful. And uh, she said they would not be able to take it over. So a month went by, two months went by, and then by the end of the year, uh, the board said, well, we decided that you should better keep that place because uh, we couldn't get the deal together. And so she was able to keep that place. And there's another story in Watchman's testimony that says uh, she had to pay 120 Chinese dollars at the end of the year, and she didn't have that. And she just prayed, and then the Lord just provided. She was truly a woman that lived by faith. We have a few songs in our uh, hymnal that, that are written by uh, uh, Sister Amy Barber. Uh, one of the ones that I like is, um, we don't sing it too often, it's uh, 637. This one is by Sister Barber. It says, Wreck outright on Jesus' breast. That means if we want to uh, learn to know the Lord, we have to wreck ourselves, like wrecking a boat, wrecking it outright on Jesus' breast. Only the wrecked, quote, quote, wrecked souls thus can sing. If you're not wrecked, you cannot sing the song. Only those people that are wrecked can, can sing this way. Little boats that hug the shore, they don't have the faith, so they, so they just hug onto the shore. 
fearing what the storm may bring, never find on Jesus' breast all that the rexo means by rest. They don't know what it means to be at rest. Only when you're wrecked and then you're not hugging to the shore anymore do you know what it means by rest. Wreck outright, so we lament. But when the storms have done their worst, then the soul surviving all in eternal arms is nursed, there to find that nothing can move one embosom in such love. Wreck outright until you don't even have a craft, that means a boat, to sail the sea. You got so wrecked that you don't even have a boat anymore. Still a voyager. You can't explain it, that's, but that's the way the, the, the pathway of faith leads. You don't have the shore, and after a while you don't even have the boat. Still a voyager, yet now anchored to infinity. Nothing left to do but fling care aside and simply cling. Wreck outright was purest gain. Henceforth other craft, that means other boats, can see that the storm may be a boon, that however rough to see, God himself does watchful stand, for the wreck is in his hand. Uh, that really speaks of a, a, a person who lived by faith. Uh, that's Emmy Barber. So she has this little retreat place, and watchmen would go to him and receive the training. And most of the training consists of rebukes. She is a very strong lady also. And uh, she, she would rebuke all, all those young people that came to her. And there were about 20 or 30 young people. And eventually, they all couldn't take it. And one by one, they left. And Watchman Nee was just about the only one that was left. And he knew... Every time he went, you know, he got rebuked. But uh, he knew that that rebuke was good for her, good for him. So he went back. Uh, it's like some of us, we just go again and again to Brother Lee to get rebukes. <laughs> but uh, after he rebuked, and we come back and we say, oh, thank you, Brother Lee. Uh, after he went away, I had to sort out and try to uh, um, organize his uh, belongings and all the correspondence and papers and so forth. And then he has this one big file where he keeps the letters that he treasured very much and the important letters. And then I pull out, it was just last week, and I pull out and I look at it. And to my surprise, it was my own letter. I wrote to Brother Lee, and uh, it was, I think, 1982 uh, or 1983. And I just started serving the Lord full time, and we had a young people's conference like this right here. And uh, <coughs> Brother Lee organized and arranged the uh, apartments um, in every detail, all the lamps, all the... Uh, uh, patio furniture, and if you know Brother Lee, uh, he's a very 
accurate and detailed person. Uh, he has a chair for every person, not just in the bedroom, but also in the patio. Door open, the fan, they didn't turn it off. We were expecting Brawley to come and uh, give a conference and speak. He didn't speak, but then he called me up. He said, Andrew, I want to talk to the trainees. Uh, he said, finish what you all are saying. Then I'll come at 9.30 after the meeting. So 9.30 he came and he spoke until like quarter till 11. And all he was saying was just, you know, he was not rebuking the trainees. He was rebuking us, the brothers, who were trying to organize the, the training. He said, what kind of training are you giving to them? You know, this is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. Everything is not in order. And uh, it was it was a very uh, it, it, it was very uh, mm, difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, next day I pray about it, and of course uh, it was uh, I pray about it, and then I decide to write a letter to Bradley. I said Bradley. Uh, thank you very much for your rebuke. Uh, it's, uh, without the rebuke, we would always be so wild and so untrained. We just hope that you would continue to train us. Don't give us up. And uh, I felt that I should write this letter to you because I, although it was uh, a rebuke, I felt that we shouldn't take it lightly. So I wrote the letter. And he kept that letter, and just uh, last week I opened it in the file that he just really treasured all those important letters. So uh, I was, uh, I'm, I'm very happy that I, I didn't get chased away. I didn't get rebuked away. Um, and, and that was how Watchman Nee got his training. He, uh, he got a lot of rebukes from Miss Barber. But uh, that was not all. Uh, she was a very, very spiritual person. Um, Watchman, he said, she would go into, he would go into Miss Barber's room and he would just be sitting there. And Miss Barber would be in her room praying and just by sitting there, he would feel the Lord's presence. And uh, uh, she was just a, a very godly person. And uh, she would take long walks with Brother Nee. And in those long walks, she would uh, talk a lot about the uh, principle, uh, mainly on how to experience the Lord through death and resurrection. And what is to take the subjective way of the cross. And uh, one time she said, well, if you want to see the Lord, you have to be in the right position. Uh, he said the stars are very big, but one piece of leaf can cover the whole star if you're not in the right position. But if you're in the right position, then the veil is gone and you can see the star. So a simple illustration like that, stay in him. And... Uh, one day, Brother Nee said, well, I, need, I want to go out to work for the Lord. I don't want to be bound 
confined. And uh, Sister Barbara, she said, here's the English cookies, English cookie, you know, the, the crackers. And she said, you break it, she broke it, and then she put it back again. And then she put it on the plate. She said, there's a big difference. Uh, outwardly, it looks the same. Uh, a piece of uh, cookie. Before you break it and after you break it and you put it back together, it looks the same. But there's something different, and that is that piece of cookie has been broken. He said, before the Lord blessed the 5,000 people, he broke the bread. He broke the bread. So he was using, she was using that illustration to show him that uh, before the Lord would use you, first you have to be broken. And after you're broken, outwardly you just look the same. You know, you don't have a Martha, ma martyr complex on your face. You just look exactly the same. But there is something within you. The will is broken. The vertebrate is touched. And uh, like uh, Jacob, the, the foot is, the leg is touched. And so from that time on, he's no longer the same. So those are the lessons that uh, Miss Barber taught him. And uh, he, she didn't teach him some just uh, doctrinal knowledge but she taught him how to experience the Lord in a subjective way. This was uh, Miss Barber. And one of the things that he was taught was on how to preach the gospel. And <clears throat> soon after he began uh, to pursue the Lord, he was very exercised to help his classmates and his friends to get saved. But in spite of all that he did, he could not get his, uh, he could not get too many people saved. And he didn't know why. And uh, here is a story. Here's a story uh, that he, he, uh, he gave. He said, uh, about this time I met a Western missionary called Miss Grove, who asked me how many persons I had brought to the Lord in the year following my salvation. And this is a very good way to train the young people. I think uh, all the workers should train you young people this way. When I was uh, first... Uh, turned to the Lord at the age of 16, people asked me, how many people did you bring to the Lord this year? And uh, that really waked up something in me. So uh, Miss Grove, who was uh, Margaret Barber's co-worker, he asked how many persons I had brought to the Lord in the year following my salvation. I bowed my head, hoping to forestall further questioning and shamefully admitted in a low voice that although I had preached the gospel to my schoolmates, they did not like to listen, and when they did listen, they would not believe. My attitude was that since they would not heed the gospel, they would have to bear the consequences. She spoke to me frankly. 
You are unable to lead people to the Lord because there is something between God and you. It may be some hidden sins not yet completely dealt with or something for which you are indebted to someone. I admitted that such things existed and she asked if I were willing to settle them immediately. I answered that I was willing. So instead of just helping him some techniques of preaching the gospel, she was helping him to have a history with God, to have a dealing with the Lord directly. She also asked how I went about bearing testimony. I replied that I pulled people in at random and began to speak regardless of whether they were listening or not. She said, this is not right. You must speak to God first before you speak to people. You should pray to God, make a list of your schoolmates' names, and ask God which of them you should pray for. Pray for them daily, mentioning them by name. Then when God affords the opportunity, you should bear testimony to them. I remember I read this very early in my Christian life, and it touched me very much. And... Uh, I helped to bring the first person to the Lord this way. I pray, I pray very hard. In fact, that time, I prayed the whole night, the first time in my life. I just knelt down and I prayed and I prayed and it was so strong a burden. Before I knew it, I was up and it was morning. And that very next day, that person who was the worst in my school, I was still in high school, he came to me and he asked me to pray for him and for his girlfriend because his girlfriend was sick. I said, okay, I will pray for your girlfriend. And his girlfriend got well. And he opened his heart and he accepted the Lord. It was very real. <laughs> well, that was how Miss Grove taught Watch many to preach the gospel. You have to deal with the Lord and you have to pray. After that conversation, I immediately began to deal with my sins by making restitution, paying the debts, being reconciled with my schoolmates, and confessing offenses to others. I also entered in my notebook the names of about 70 schoolmates and began to pray for them daily mentioning their names individually before God. Sometimes I pray for them once every hour, praying silently, even in the class. When opportunity arose, I would bear testimony to them and try to persuade them to believe in the Lord Jesus. My schoolmates often said jokingly, Mr. Preacher is coming, let's listen to his preaching. The fact was that they had no intention to listen. I called on Miss Groves again and said to her, I have fully carried out your instructions. Why is it not effective? She replied, Do not be disappointed. Keep praying until some are saved. See, this uh, lady was training him not only how to preach the gospel, but how to touch the Lord. By the Lord's grace, I continue to pray daily. When opportunity arose, I bore testimony and preached the gospel Thank the Lord. After several months, everyone except one 
of the 70 persons whose names were in my notebook were all saved. What a testimony. Then the next thing was <clears throat> he had to give up something. And the Lord touched him and he wanted to be filled with the Spirit. Um, in one sense, today, we know that to be filled with the Spirit, you have to exercise your spirit. And by exercising your spirit, opening up your mouth, pray reading the Word, touching the Lord, you will be filled with the Spirit. But that is only the big part of the story. There is something that you need to deal with, and that is deal with all the hindrance. And that was what uh, uh, Watchman Nee was uh, helped to experience. He said, although some have been saved, I was still not satisfied, because many in the school and in the town were still not saved. I felt the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to receive power from above, that I might be able to bring more people to the Lord. Then I called on Miss Margaret Barber. Being immature in spiritual matters, I asked her if it was necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to obtain power to bring many to salvation. She answered, yes. I asked her concerning the means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She said, you must present yourself to God that he may fill you with himself. I replied that I had already presented myself, but when I considered, I knew that I was still my old self. I knew that God had saved me, chosen me, and called me. Though I had not yet attained absolute victory, I had been free from sin and evil habits, and many ma matters hitherto entangling me had been abandoned. However, I still felt the lack of sp spiritual power to cope with spiritual work. Then she told me a story. Well, let me just uh, say this, that uh, uh, the best way to be filled with the Spirit is to consecrate yourself to the Lord. It is not, don't listen to the uh, Pentecostals. The Pentecostals said the way to be filled with the Spirit is to pray, wait for the Spirit to fall on you. That is not reliable. The best way to be filled with the Spirit is to consecrate yourself for more. And I surely remember those times when I had dealing with the, with the Lord and you consecrated your future, and your job, or your um, uh, profession, or your marriage, or whatever. Those are the times that you're filled with the Spirit. And, uh, and that filling just come automatically. So that was the story that... Uh, uh, Miss Barber told Watchman Nee. And the story was about this young man who was pursuing for his PhD degree. Can I have a glass of water? And uh, <clears throat> he had this goal for a long, long time. But uh, while he was pursuing this goal, he somehow felt that he was p pursuing it in such a strong way that he would not let anything go, and he would not give it up for anything. It, become, it became an obsession, a, a, a strong obsession for him. 
And so, as he was doing that, the Lord was moving in him. And the Lord said, if you want to be filled with me, you have to give that up. And to him, that was his life. And he couldn't do it. And so he struggled, and he struggled, and for weeks he was struggling. All the time while he was doing that, he was very zealous, and he was also a, uh, some kind of a, 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 a worker in the church uh, that gave messages on Sunday morning. Well, one Saturday, he, he uh, had a crisis with the Lord, and he knew that he uh, either had to give up or the Lord, or he had to give up uh, his idol. And uh, he struggled, he struggled, he struggled until late at night. And then past midnight, he finally yielded. And when he yielded, he was just so peaceful, he just slept like a log. And the next day, he didn't even prepare for his message. So he just stood up and he gave his testimony. And when he gave the whole testimony, the whole congregation was just filled with the boy. And so that was the story that Miss Barber told Watchman Nee. You know, that's a, the best, best kind of training. And he said, uh, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, then all you need to do is to present yourself to the Lord. I strongly encourage you, have prayers, have dealings with the Lord. One year, I uh, was struggling between whether to serve the Lord full time or whether to, to uh, pick up a job. And there was a very, very good offer. And the man said, you're over 30 years old. Uh, you better take this job. If you don't take this job, you're going to lose your lifetime opportunity because uh, people are not going to hire people 30 years old. They usually hire people who just come out of college. So you better take it. And I took that seriously. And it was a, a struggle. And then I pray and pray and pray. And I remember I was at the rooftop praying until midnight. And then after midnight, I was clear that I should not take that job. I should serve the Lord full time. And uh, once I decided on that, oh, peace just came like a river. And I was full of the Spirit. Then he talked about how he was dealt with by the Lord in giving up his uh, girlfriend. He had a girlfriend. And the girlfriend eventually became his wife. And their, and their love for each other lasted all the way until they died. Um, she was a very uh, good sister. But uh, when they were young, they, they, they knew each other ever since they were very, very young. And he loved her very much. But the Lord was touching him to give up that love. Um... And he said, one day while seeking a theme from the Bible before delivering a message, I randomly opened the Bible and Psalm 73, 25 appeared before my eyes, which says, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. After reading these words, I said to myself, 
The writer of this psalm can say that, but I cannot. I discover then that there was something between me and God. Since my wife is not present today, I will relate the story to you. About ten years before our marriage, I was in love with her. She was not then saved, and when I spoke with her about the Lord Jesus and tried to persuade her to believe, she laughed at me. I must admit that I did love her, but at the same time I suffered her laughter at the Lord I believed in. I also questioned at that time whether she or the Lord would have the first place in my heart. I must say that once young people have fallen in love, they find it very difficult to give up their beloved. I told God of my willingness to give her up, but deep in my heart I was not willing. After reading Psalm 73 again, I said to God, I cannot say that there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee, because there is one on earth whom I love. At that instant, the Holy Spirit indicated clearly that there was something between God and me. On that day, I delivered a message, but I did not know what I was talking about. I was actually speaking to God, asking Him to be patient and impart strength to me until I could give her up. I asked God to postpone dealing with this matter, but God never reasoned with people. I considered going to the frontier of desolate Tibet to evangelize and suggested many other enterprises to God, hoping that he might be moved, not to raise again the question of my giving up the one I love. But once God's finger has pointed to something, he will not withdraw it. No matter how hard I pray, I could not get through. I had no enthusiasm for my studies in school, and at the same time I failed to acquire the power of the Holy Spirit, which I was earnestly seeking. I was in great distress. I prayed constantly, hoping that my earnest supplication might change God's mind. Thank the Lord that all along He wanted me to learn to deny myself, to lay aside human love, and to love Him with a single heart. That is the lesson that the Lord was trying to teach him. Otherwise, I would be a useless Christian in his hand. He cut down my natural life with a sharp knife so that I might learn a lesson which I had never learned before. On one occasion, I delivered a message and returned to my room with a heavy heart. I told God that I would return to school the following Monday and seek for the filling of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ. During the following two weeks, I found that I still could not say with conviction the words of Psalm 73:25. But thank the Lord, soon afterwards, I was filled with His love, and I was willing to lay my loved one down and loudly declare, I will lay her aside. Never will she be mine. After this declaration, I was at long last able to utter the words of Psalm 73:25. What a dealing! Uh, a person who is very serious in dealing with the Lord in everything. That's good. That's very good. On that day, I was in the second heaven, if not the third. The world appeared smaller to me, and it was as if I, I were mounting the clouds and riding the mists. On the evening of my salvation, the burden of my sins rolled away. But on that day, February the 13th, 1922, when I laid aside my beloved, my heart was empty of everything that previously occupied me. At that time, Brother Nee wrote the following hymn, How vast, immense, and measureless the love of Christ to me! How else could such a wretch as I be blessed so graciously? To bring me back unto himself, my Lord his all did spend, so I would gladly bear the cross and follow to the end. My all I have forsaken now, this blessed Christ to gain. 
Now life or death is no concern. What else can we restrain? In the following week, people began to be saved. And Brother Wei, who was my classmate, can testify to the fact that up to this time, I have been very particular about my dress. I used to wear a long silk gown, you know, this long old Chinese. That's supposed to be fashionable. <laughs> With red dots, like polka dots. <laughs> but on that day, I removed my refined clothing and shoes. I went to the kitchen, made some paste and with a bundle of gospel posters in my arms, went to the street to post them on the walls and to distribute gospel tracts. Clearly, he was filled by the Spirit. Well, later, the Lord did give him back that sister, and they were married in 1934. They did not have any children, but they lived together all the time until he was put in prison in 1952. And since he was put in prison for 20 years, they were living apart. Occasionally, she was able to visit him. But uh, they loved each other very, very much. And uh, she died first. She died about half a year before he died. And when she died, he was very, very sorrowful. I talked to uh, the man who was in prison with him. I personally talked to the man who was in prison with him for seven and a half years. And he told me, he said, after Sister Ni died, every day Brother Ni cried. And he's a human. He's a human being. You know, some people said when Watchman Ni was in prison, he was so um, strong like Superman. This is, this is not right. This is not right. A spiritual person is very human. He loved his wife dearly. And the Lord gave him, but there was a very strong testimony at his early age that he was able to give that up for the Lord's sake, and the Lord filled him. So that was his training. He, he had a history with God. He had a dealing with God. Then uh, <clears throat> we go on. And uh, I'll just mention a few more things about his life. Uh, one other thing is he learned to live uh, by faith. Uh, I have uh, mentioned how uh, Hudson Taylor and uh, Robert Morrison and all these ones, servants of God, lived by faith. When Brother Nee also learned to live by faith, um, this country is a very rich country, and uh, when you consider all these things, it's very hard for us to live by faith. It's, it's really difficult today for us to lear learn to live by faith. Even if you want to go full-time, it's difficult for you to learn to live by faith. But uh, everyone who wants to serve the Lord has to learn to live by faith. The biggest thing about learning to live by faith is you have no trust in money, you have no trust in future, your only trust is in the Lord. That is what it means to live by faith. It's not how much money you have in your pocket. You know, you can have 
no money in your pocket, all day long you're thinking about money, then you're not living by faith. On the other hand, you, have, you can have a million dollars in your pocket, but you're trusting in the Lord and you're living by faith. It's, it's not how much money you have, it's whether you're living by faith. And uh, <clears throat> right after he was saved, he went and told his parents. I have pointed out in previous testimony that after I was saved, I continued to study in school and at the same time work for the Lord. One evening, I spoke with my father concerning the matter of receiving financial assistance. I said, after praying for several days, I feel that I must tell you that I will no longer spend your money. I appreciate that you have spent so much on me in, in accord with your sense of fatherly responsibility. But you will expect me to earn money in the future and support you in return. And, and I must tell you beforehand that since I am going to be a preacher, I will not be able to repay you in the future, nor pay you interest. Even though I have not completed my studies, I wish to learn to depend solely upon God. When I said this, my father thought I was joking. However, from then on, when my mother would occasionally give me five or ten dollars, she would write on the envelope to Brother Nito Sheng. She was not giving me money as a mother. I think that was very good. Uh, I can tell you some of my experience, but this is not the time to tell you. Uh, but when I first learned to follow the Lord, uh, I had the experience like that. And uh, the first time I came to this country, I, uh, I felt very clear. Uh, I came as a student, and my parents wanted to support me. And I felt very clear that I should not take my parents' support. So I told my mother, and my mother was very offended uh, by that. And she thought, you know, I was being disobedient or I was trying to run away. And I tried to explain to her clearly that it was, it was not because I don't love the family, but because I want to learn to live by faith. And so I declined all their support, and I was 10 days away from getting on the airplane. And uh, it was Thursday, and I prayed in the morning, and the Lord just gave me a very strong uh, conviction that the Lord would prepare the money for me. So I said, well, if I, if I am to have the money, I need to have it in a week's time, because in 10 days' time I have to get on the plane. It's Sunday, I have to get on the plane, and the latest, I have to have that money by Thursday. After I prayed that, then the Lord gave me a verse, and it's in uh, Matthew chapter 20. And it was the, about the story of the, the vineyard. And the master of the vineyard called people in, and then it's 9 o'clock in the morning, he called some people in, 12 o'clock, he called some people in, and then after 5 o'clock, then he started giving them money, starting from the last one, the last one first. And then some of them complained. And then the Lord said, uh, My friend, I don't owe you anything. Uh, take what you get and go. Well, the Lord spoke to me in that verse and said, It says, My friend, the Lord is our friend. And he won't owe us anything. So, you know, it was a living word to me, and I got the conviction. So I said, okay, in a week's time, I need the money. So in one week's time, exactly one week's time, and no sooner. 
I got an envelope, and it was just enough money for me to get on the plane. And that's how I came to this country, 1969, Christmas. And uh, ever since that time, I just declined my parents' money, and it was, it was a very, very good experience of, of learning to live by faith. And in 1982, in 1982, Raleigh gave me a call. I, I told you earlier, uh, I talked to him in, in 1968, I said I wanted to go full-time, he said no. So I thought it was all over for me. So in 1982, when he called me, I was quite surprised. He said, come over. <laughs> then he asked me to go full-time. I knew I, I was supposed to. I, I, I knew it was time, but I was a little bit worried. Because by then I was married, I had two cars, I had an apartment, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried. And uh, he asked me to go full-time. And uh, and by and by that time, I was uh, not as bold as I was when I was 20 years old. But anyway, I did. And uh, when I did, uh, the Lord was just uh, very gracious. And uh, at that time. Uh, there was no church that was supporting me. And uh, and the living stream was not supporting me. And I said, who's going to support me? <laughs> so there were two brothers, myself and another. And uh, he was bold and I was not bold. So he was bold enough and he went and asked Brother Lee. He said, Brother Lee, you asked us to go to all these different places to hold conferences. Who's going to pay for our airfare? And Brother Lee didn't even say a word. He didn't answer. <laughs> there was no answer to that question <laughs> it was an open question there was no answer but then after two weeks he started talking in a small fellowship and he started talking about living by faith and uh, we should not ask for anywhere supports are coming from I got the message <laughs> <laughs> but ever since that time you know uh now, uh, young people go to the full-time training. It's very good, and the churches support them. But at that time, there was none. And so, you know, from 1982 until 1989, I started working in Living Stream in 1989. And when I started working in Living Stream, then I started receiving a regular salary. But up until that time, for, for all those years, there was, there was no support. And... Uh, but here and there, I got, I got the support. And the first year that I went full-time, I said, oh, I just have that little bit of saving, and I just use it all up, and then see what happens. <laughs> just use, use that up first. So that was learning to live by faith. Then uh, uh, I'll just mention one more story. I'm supposed to cover his uh, life tonight, and then his work tomorrow. I don't think I can cover his life tonight. I, I don't think I can finish it. I'll just go up to where I stop and then I'll stop. Uh, in 1923, Brother Nee was invited to go to preach in a place. And of course at that time there was no airplane. So he was go, going 
going to go on a boat. And uh, he only had $15 in his pocket. And the $15 was only enough to pay one-third of his journey. And uh, it was a boat ride up the river, and he had to, at the, at the first part of the journey, it was a big river, so he had to go up a steamer, and the steamer are uh, cheap. Then, after he gets the first stop, then he changed boat into a little skipper, and the skipper is very expensive. And he, he didn't have the money, he only had $15, about one-third of what he needed. But he decided to go. But then on the night that he was uh, supposed to go, which was a Friday evening, the Lord says, you got $15, give five to other people. There is this brother that is uh, in need of money. He said, my $15 is only enough for one-third of my traveling expense. And uh, the Lord said, you just do it anyway. He said, I, de I decided to leave on Friday evening and continue my prayer on Wednesday and Thursday. The money, however, did not come. I pray again Friday morning. Not only was no money forthcoming, but also I had the feeling within that I should give $5 to a certain co-worker. I recall the Lord's word, give, and it will be given to you. I had not been a money lover, but on that day I really loved money. <laughs> and found it extremely difficult to give. I prayed to the Lord again, O oh Lord, if you really want me to give away $5, I will. But I was still rather unwilling inwardly. I was deceived by Satan into thinking that after praying, I would not have to give away the $5. That was the only time in my life that I shed tears over money. Eventually, I obeyed the Lord and gave the $5 to their co-workers. After the money was given, I was filled with heavenly joy. When the co-worker asked why I gave him the money, I said, You need not ask. You will know later. Then, Friday evening, I prepared my journey. I said to God, $15 was already insufficient, and now you wanted me to give away $5. Won't the sum be even more inadequate? Now I don't know how to pray anymore. So he went up at the steamer. That was enough money. And by the time he got to that stop to change the, uh, to, change the, to the skipper, uh, somebody came along and said, hey, uh, you want to uh, get on my boat, and I'll take you up there for $7, which was uh, like, I, I think, about uh, 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 several times, several times less than the expected amount, the regular fare. And he said, well, why, how come you're charging me so cheap? And he said, well, I'm just... Uh, uh, trying to pick up some extra passenger. This boat is chartered by somebody already. So if I pick up an extra passenger, I, I get a, an extra dollar more. So he was, of course, very happy. So he uh, went on the skipper, and he got to the place, and it was working with Brother Wei to preach the gospel. And after he preached the gospel, then he had no money to come back. He only had very few, only a few dollars left in his pocket. Then he got invited to a British pastor called Mr. Phillips' house for dinner. And at dinner time, that Mr. Phillips said, uh, well, uh, since you work for the Lord, he was, at dinner time, Mr. Phillips told me that he and his church had received great help through my messages, and they offered to be responsible for my traveling expenses both ways. I replied that there was already someone who had accepted this responsibility, meaning God. Then he said, well, okay, since that is the case, I'll give you a book, uh, 
of somebody uh, uh, called uh, uh, a book called The Dynamic of Service. I, I felt that I had missed a great, great opportunity after I said that. <laughs> what I needed then was money for traveling expenses, not a book. <laughs> I somewhat regretted that I had not accepted this offer. So then they left, and uh, he regretted that. But he felt that the Lord was uh, leading him, so he would uh, return anyway. So on their way to the pier, he was still wondering, where am I going to get the money? He still had no money. And uh, when I left the following day, I had only a few dollars in my pocket. Many brothers and sisters came to see me off, and some carried my luggage. While walking, I prayed, Lord, surely you wouldn't bring me here without taking me back. Halfway to the wharf, Mr. Phillips sent someone with a letter. The letter read, Although someone else has assumed the responsibility for your traveling expenses, I feel that I should have a share in your work here. Would it be possible for me and H. Brother to have such a share? Please be good enough to accept this small sum for this purpose. After reading this letter, I felt I should accept the money, and I did. It was not only sufficient for my return expenses, but also for printing one issue of the present testimony magazine. Then he said, Upon my return to Fu Chao, the wife of the co-worker who received the $5 said to me, I have the feeling that when you left, you did not have enough money yourself. Why did you suddenly give me $5, uh, give my husband $5? I then asked her what had occurred in connection with the $5, and she replied, We had only $1 left in the house on Wednesday, and that had been spent by Friday. On Friday, we prayed all day. Afterwards, my husband felt that he should go out for a walk, and then he met you, and you gave him $5. The $5 lasted us through five days. Then God provided for us from another source. At this point, she continued with tears. If you had not given us the $5 on that day, we would have suffered hunger. It does not matter that we suffer hunger, but what about God's promise? Her testimony filled me with joy. The Lord had worked through me to supply the need with the $5. The word of the Lord is indeed faithful. Give, and it will be given to you. Uh, I think I will just uh, stop here. We can maybe have some sharing or some testimony, uh, whatever you, you usually do. And I'll continue with that tomorrow. Uh, I just uh, want to uh, conclude this session by saying again what I said at the beginning, that uh, there are reasons and there are factors for the Lord to use a person and to use a vessel. And one of that is a person, he has to have some history of dealing with the Lord. He dealt with the Lord in a personal way. And he has some personal experience with the Lord. And we will see tomorrow that a lot of that comes through a death and resurrection, through suffering. And the suffering is not, I'm not talking about the outward suffering like poverty and no food, no, no shelter. It's, it's not that. The suffering is that we would give up our natural life, that we would not live by the natural life. If you live by the natural life, you would not be filled with the Spirit. But if you give up the natural life and you make a resolve that you would just live by God's life, then the Lord will indeed be real to us. Um, I think I will stop here. Amen.